Okay, recording. Podcast number four, predictions for 2020 and the 20s. 6th of January, 2020. Okay, welcome back to podcast number four. I want to give a thank you to all those who've reached out to me, either with feedback or just to provide encouragement. I really do appreciate it, and I hope there's some value in, in what I'm providing. I also want to give out a shout-out to Conrad. He was the first one to identify the fact that in my very first podcast, I forgot to remove a section that I had tagged as asking to edit it out. So, Conrad, thank you for putting that out. So, podcast number four. I'm going to be talking about predictions now. Predictions for 2020 and the 20s, as we are now in the 20s. I'm taking a stand. I know there's a lot of controversy on the Twitterverse right now about do the 20s start in 2020 or do they start in 2021? I'm taking a stand and saying they start in 2020. But I'm going to do my predictions a little bit differently. I've been reviewing predictions for the last two or three weeks the week before Christmas and New Year's and into two weeks into the new year. And to be honest with you, I've been through a ton of prediction articles, podcasts, blog posts, inked, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, The Verge, The Telegraph, Wired. Vanity Fair actually had a really good one if you get a chance to read it or haven't had a chance to read it yet. The next decade, the technology tsunami is an exceptionally good article. Went through Tech Times, and then of course I went through all of the pundits that have some axe to grind about predictions, and then I went through all of the managed services people, you know, KPMG, Accenture, IBM, and then I took a look at you know the Consumer Electronics Show predictions for 2020, and and here's what I here's what I feel I saw. What I think I saw was, is the predictions for 2019 regurgitated. Now, I did a 2019 predictions show, uh, video blog, uh, and I talked about what the predictions were. And I feel like that I did it very similar to these articles, which is I looked at the predictions for the previous year, and then I looked at the new features that we had seen through the year. And then my predictions were more enterprise and business use case adoption of those technologies over the coming year. And that's what I was seeing from most of these articles. There are some exceptions to that, specifically around material and chemical sciences. Some of the things happening with batteries, some pretty exciting stuff from IBM at the very end of the year in battery science. Some of the new programmable materials, the biomedic medicine technologies, the gene editing, printing organs, those predictions, although we've seen them at the lab level, the predictions about when we're going to have access to them and the outputs from some of the experiments that are going, I, th- I think is pretty exciting. And then, of course, there's a bunch of pure science predictions that we got around physics and mathematics and how machine learning algorithms are helping us to find mathematical and physics answers to things. But I think in the technology realm, the predictions for 2020 seemed very similar to me. They seemed to be the 2019 predictions plus the feature implementations that we've done for those technologies over the last year. And then for the 2020s, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of 
big shift. It was more about percentage of adoption. Every most of the people that were writing were they were very conservative in what they were they were committing to, and I think they did a disservice because they were being so conservative about the wow or hype factor about what stuff was being announced. They tended to shy away from the what was actually what is actually coming what we're going to see within the next year or at least shying away from the the idea of predicting it so i want to do something slightly different what i'm going to do is is that i'm going to take a shot at predicting 2020 and the 20s in a way that is to take a look at the technology and how that technology could be used for business outcomes now you're going to you're going to hear me say enterprise adoption. You're going to hear me say, I expect these new technologies to begin to be used by enterprises more in a production manner. Some of the technologies are in that boat. After I go through most of the technologies, and, and by the way, some of them I'm going to say, we don't know. We, we think they're coming, we're watching, but we're not exactly sure what's going to happen. I want to talk a little bit about some areas that previously I wouldn't have talked about in a technology podcast. Things like automobiles. So, yeah, there's technology in automobiles, but the technology use case we're going to be seeing with automobiles is going to explode in the next 10 years. And then the very last thing I want to cover is what innovation looks like over the next decade. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and kick off into the predictions. So, prediction number one. The easy one is, is in this area, is, and this is augmented reality, virtual reality, extended reality. And that's the prediction is, is that there's going to be more of it. And that's what you hear a lot of. Gaming is taking another shot at virtual reality. Augmented reality is now fully productionized and being used in gaming senses. And extended reality is starting to be used more and more in labs and in engineering works. So let's talk about what the difference is between the three. So... Augmented reality is adding additional content onto an image of the real world, whether it's through a screen or uh, through glasses and it's projected onto the glasses. It gives additional content. Virtual reality creates a whole world. So it, it shuts off the world that's around you and places you in an entirely new world, an entirely new setting, gives you access to new visuals. And then extended reality is about the augmented and virtual reality plus extending other things. It's hearing, it's touch, and it's doing it in such a way to extend what is already there. So what do I mean about extending what's already there? I'm going to get a little bit philosophical here for a second. Donald Hoffman has an exceptionally good paper about specifically about this, and that's that we only perceive the world through an interface. The impression from a, a neuroscience standpoint is, is that we don't actually see the real world as it is. We don't hear it the way it is. We don't smell it or taste it or touch it the way it really is. What our brain does is our brain interprets electrical signals of what the real world is. Now, in a game, that allows us to create new worlds. In a business, augmented reality, virtual reality, and extended reality would allow us to enhance that interface that our brain uses to get better outputs, business outcomes out of it. What do I mean? 
I mean, in a retail scenario, augmented reality could be that someone holds a screen up to a product and all the details about the product, maybe even a cost comparison of the product with other vendors is offered to them. In a virtual reality world, maybe it's placing on a set of glasses and being able to try dresses on in a dress shop in Hollywood when you're living in Hong Kong. In extended reality might be placing you in with haptic gloves and a virtual reality world where you could experience being a police officer to see if that's something that would be interesting for you. So what we're talking about from a business use case perspective is about the story and the content around the products. So for retail, it's about making those products more real. It's about telling the story behind those products, providing more content associated with those products. From a logistics world, it might be identifying where something came from or where it needs to go. From a manufacturing perspective, it might be giving schematic visualizations of a product before the product's made or after the product's made and it needs to be fixed. And so a schematic blow up of the product that allows the engineer or the technician that's working on it to go in and actually work on the product. In a development, in a development or construction or architecture, it might be the ability for someone to go in and manually manipulate and up, update a product while people are watching on a screen to do things better. These are the use cases that I think we're going to see. The, the hardware exists today. We could talk about specific hardware. We could talk about the Magic Leap product. We could talk about Microsoft's product. We could talk about the Oculus from Facebook. The, the hardware exists. The software is now starting to get good enough to be able to handle it. And games are again leading us the augmented reality games that exist are now mainstream. So we're going to start seeing that. This year, this year we're going to adopt it. By the end of this decade, it will be the only way we interact with the real world. Yeah, you, you, we'll be able to go off on vacations where we, we leave our technology behind, and I do believe that's coming. But we're also going to go on vacations where we don't actually go anywhere. We just have a virtual reality Visit, visit through a, a vacation by the end of this decade. I think that our purchasing power, the, the television shows, the history we get, all of that is going to leap off the screen. It's not going to be, it's, it's already coming with us on our phones and our, our tablets. It's going to continue coming with us out into the real world, into the products that we purchase. And the companies that get this right, the companies that get the story and the content right with their products, are going to be the ones that win. So, next one. Blockchain. Wow. Okay, so blockchain ledgers have been on prediction lists for about the last five years. And I think what we have, don't get me wrong, In uh, three years ago, most of the pundits were saying blockchain ledgers were a solution looking for a problem. I think that IBM and a couple of other organizations have shown that there is actually a very valid and very useful use case for them. We're going to see some new technology. We saw some new technology at the end of last year where more and more data can be stored in blockchains and um, that 
being able to store greater and greater amount of data in the blockchain makes them better. But I think what we have is, is we have gotten a perception problem. The general public associate blockchain with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. We need to change that language. Blockchain isn't just about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Blockchain ledgers have a real place to play in building non-immutable data. So building records of things that happen in such a way that if anybody touches them or edits them, there's a record of them touching and editing them and not just a log someplace. I think from a technology perspective, uh, we're kind of falling down. The architects that are out there that are aware of what blockchain ledgers can do need to step up and start talking about that part of it. And by the way, when I dive into blockchain ledger technology streams, that's what I hear. I hear about the capability of using a blockchain ledger to lock in immutably evidence information for, say, an investigation or uh, logistics, lock in logistics information as it goes through a shipping. That is the use case that blockchain ledgers are going to fit. And this year, uh, we're going to see widespread enterprise adoption of those use cases. Are we still going to see cryptocurrencies? Sure. But I'm not a finance guy. Uh, I have some very good friends who do finance information and, and they, they do finance technology and fintech. I'm not primarily a fintech person and I'm not going to try and talk about cryptocurrencies or the markets that are popping up. But blockchain ledger has a place. It has a solution. It has a use case in there for the blockchain ledger separate to the cryptocurrencies. Okay, next one. Internet of Things. Uh, talk about a product with an image problem. Um, the general public see Internet of Things as either Alexa or that their refrigerator is going to order their milk when it runs out. But here's the reality. The, the real benefits to IoT are going to be the manufacturing, logistics, the medical technologies, and the wholesale technologies to gather data. IoT is going to give us massive amounts of data. From a retail business perspective, there's still a there's still an upswing that IoT is going to be able to give and that's that it's going to give better 360 degree views of the people that interact with their products if they're if IoT is implemented in them. But IoT has some huge hurdles. The first is <coughs> that a lot of real value for IoT is going to require edge computing. And the edge computing isn't there to do full AI at the edge yet. And IoT is either going to generate so much data that we're going to drown in it in the center, or the edge is going to have to be able to analyze that data enough to decide what is important to send back. And that requires machine learning and AI. The second problem we have is the security. IoT is inherently a slim implementation product. This is a product that is powered by, you know, body heat or your movement or very small batteries or even uh, radio wavelengths that happen to be populating within the area. So the product itself has to be very small and very light that precludes massive amount of security on the product. 
And if IoT can dump data into the internal without some AI looking at the data first, that presents a access point for bad actors to come in. So security and AI, edge computing, is what we're going to see in IoT baked in over the next year. Over the next decade, expect everything to have sensors on it. By the end of the 2020s, every consumer product that I think that rolls out will have sensors associated with it. You will have a sensor on your milk that tells your household computer when the milk is running low. So whether that's the refrigerator using visual recognition patterns to show the milk or a small tag on the bottle of milk that informs the refrigerator that's running low, we're going to see that by the end of the decade. By 2025, the medical technologies will have IoT in everything. IoT for monitoring. So if anybody that's had any dealings with the medical industry in the last 10 years should realize we have a shortage of both nurses and doctors. Massive. If you've been in a hospital and realize that the nurses are so short-staffed that they can't get to everybody all the time, IoT will help with this. So Internet of Things sensors placed on everything to do with medical technologies will allow them to remotely monitor more patients to give better care, to give better interaction, to track things better. So if we're going to talk about IoT in a retail or a, a consumer sense, we need to talk about 5G. Wow, 5G's been in the news quite a bit lately. Uh, for those of you that don't know what 5G is, it is the next generation of cellular technology. The difference between 4G and 5G and 3G and 4G is massive. The 5G is 100 times greater speed and bandwidth than 4G was over 3G. So fundamentally, 5G is going to provide us with the environment to run all those IoT sensors I was talking about a second ago. Here's the downside. We have to have 10 times the number of cellular access points that we have today. So the coverage areas to get the full benefits of 5G are going to be years out. Some of the predictions I saw were 2030, 2035. Singapore is now looking at 6G, and some of the countries are now thinking that they won't have the density of cellular access points until 6G is released. So 5G is, there is quite a bit of hype about it. To get true 5G, you're going to have to be in a major city or metroplex that has rolled out all of those cellular access points. But I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of business adoption of 5G. So the telecoms are going to do it. They want that additional bandwidth. They want that additional numbers of people on their and their devices. And by the way, there are still there are IoT sensors out there that are running on 2G. So uh, understand that the telcos, the telecommunication companies want people up to 4G and 5G. So that's going to be the direction. At the same time, on the Wi-Fi front, we're getting Wi-Fi 6. Now, Wi-Fi 6 and 5G actually work seamlessly together. So 
I think that in this year, we're pretty much by the end of this year, all of the Wi-Fi products are going to have Wi-Fi 6 capability. And that by the end of this decade, we will have complete wireless coverage in houses, in all new houses going in. It will be, the internet is becoming as prevalent in the first world as as clean drinking water or sanitation. In fact, in in India, in some places where they don't have uh, sewer systems, they have Wi-Fi and cellular coverage. So we're going to see the coverage going and going and going. Okay, next prediction. 3D printing. So, wow, okay, 3D printing was has been the promise of predictions for about the last three, four years. This was the thing that was going to turn every household into their own artistic bracelet keychain making industry. I think we're not there yet. The product, don't get me wrong, the 3D printers are there. The 3D printers have the capability to do it. In fact, I saw a video post of a 3D printer earlier today that had a conveyor belt built into the underlay where the 3D printer printed, and it could print things that were three meters long. Just continuous printing. Wouldn't stop. 3D printers are now printing in metal, concrete, wood, wood pulp plastic. So the product sets there, what I think is, is that the technology has been so do-it-yourself DIY as it's grown up that unless you're, you know, a real gearhead when it comes to 3D printing, the adoption rate hasn't been as high as the predictions have come. I think that what we're going to see by the end of 2020 is commercial-grade 3D printers. Now, what I mean by commercial-grade is not manufacturing. The manufacturing are already using additive printing to manufacture things. I'm talking about a machine that gets put in your house that is maintained by somebody else that all you do is you put stuff in it and it prints parts for things for you or it prints things that you download off the Internet. I think that by the end of 2020, we're going to see that as a consumer product commercialized and sold in Best Buy or, you know, no limbing in Australia, New Zealand, you know, that I think that that by the end of 2020, that's what we're going to see. Now, by the end of the 20s, by the end of the 20s, I expect to see most retail products that are not perishable and some perishable being produced with 3D printers. It's, look, it's going to fundamentally change the retail industry by the end of the 20s. You're not going to have t-shirt shops because you're going to have a 3D printer in your house that if you buy the pattern for a 3D for a t-shirt, you could print through the t-shirt yourself. In industry, we're going to see manufacturing going more and more to 3D printed. Here in New Zealand, there's a company up in Auckland that has printed a sensor one-tenth, I think it's one-one-hundredth the size of a dime, one-tenth the size of a human hair. That technology is going to, again, drive IoT, assuming that the network is there and 5G, that technology is going to drive 3D printing. For most people consuming it, wait for it. It's still coming. Okay, a little bit of a shift. Cloud computing and digital transformations. I'm not going to predict things for this. What I'm going to talk about is the fact that this is mainstream today. If, if an organization is not doing a digital transformation, 
if they are not leveraging cloud computing to, to do things, you're, you're now being left behind. Your competitors, the ecosystem around you has moved on. That Every prediction model, Gardner, everybody predicts that that's going to continue growing. Now, where that tops out at, what percentage that tops out at, and, and as it becomes, as it flattens out and becomes, uh, you know, full adoption, I don't know. We're going to continue to see in cloud computing massive new products turned on and massive numbers of products turned off. And I think what we're going to see more than anything else is the managed service providers stepping in and becoming managed cloud providers. So they're going to go in and manage the cloud provide the cloud environments for businesses. But the digital transformation one, uh, look, I, I've recently put a blog post or a, a article post. If you, if your company has either your digital, haven't started your digital transformation, you've started one and it appears to be failing or it's failed, you need to take a look at that digital transformation because let me assure you, your competitors are looking at it and they will disrupt your business and you won't realize it until your market share starts plummeting. Okay, I'm going to touch on quantum computing and networking and then I'm going to leave it off for a longer talk later in this year. The touch I'm going to make is is that we now have quantum computers uh, fully in the market. So you can go to IBM, you can go to Google, and you can rent access on a quantum computer the same way you used to rent access on a Z machine or a mainframe back in the day. They're here. They have now demonstrated the ability to use quantum entanglement to send information between two qubits at two different locations, well, between two different locations, with no network in between the two of them. I don't think that by the end of 2020, this will be replacing our current computing. I think we're still probably another five to 10 years out from that being the case. But I expect the adoption of quantum computing and networking to happen faster and faster over the next five years. The scary part is when the hackers start leveraging quantum computing to begin breaking security. And I'll have a podcast later on this year specifically talking about quantum computing, specifically talking about uh, our security risks associated with that. Okay, security, how and where next do we go with security? I had a really good podcast last week with Kevin Johnson. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, please do. He is one of the foremost thinkers in security that I know of in the world. And I have a really good article that I posted onto LinkedIn and Twitter, I think it was a couple days ago, that was specifically about, you know, where we go. Security is going to have to become adaptable. AI is going to become a tool within the toolkit because the reality is, is that we're not going to be able to stop spot deep fakes just by visually seeing them. The, the security teams are not going to be able to see What's happening, it's going to happen too quickly or it's going to happen over too wide an area for them to be able to see it. So I do expect to have another podcast later on in the year about security and AI, but that's the direction I see it going over the next year and over the decade. So the one technology that I've touched on a couple times but I haven't really talked about, AI, machine learning, and deep learning. Okay, so where are we? Believe it or not, you you have been using AI for several years. You have been using algorithms 
to give you better and better search capability. By the way, the AI algorithms have created an echo chamber for you. You only see things that align to things that you already search for. Though that is a result of AI. If you are, if you talk to an Alexa, if you talk to Siri, you are talking to an AI. You are talking to something that processes your speech into text, reads that text, interprets what it is you say, you say, then comes up with a response to it, and then puts together the words to say that the response to you verbally. So you, we are here, mainstream AI. Narrow AI is here today. Machine learning businesses are using machine learning in production, enterprise production, today to get better data out of what they're doing. So to see connections between things that they didn't see before, to see uh, Google turned AI and machine learning on in their data centers and saw how they could optimize power and cooling usages in their data centers and cut their their power consumption rates by 20%. So AI, machine learning, and deep learning are being used today. Natural language processing, Google's Translate is there today. Digital humans, we are seeing more and more of the digital humans making it into the wild, and some of them are crossing the uh, uncanny valley. They're getting to the other side of it. So digital humans are becoming mainstream. By the end of this year, the text-to-speech and speech-to-text will be fully implemented within a majority of call centers. So the IVRs of, of yesterday, the push one for sales, push two for technical support, press zero to talk to an operator, by the end of the, the 2020, most businesses will have adopted a more nuanced natural language processing in their call centers. By the end of 2020, we will all have personal avatars and AI assistants. These will be digital humans that answer calls for you so that you don't have to answer them if you don't know who's calling. They will be able to book things for you based on what they hear. So you will just say, hey, AI assistant, can you book my doctor's appointment for a week from next Tuesday? And that AI assistant will call up the doctor's office and, by the way, not talk to a person, but talk to the system within the doctor's office, and we'll book your appointment for a week from next Tuesday. That's by the end of this decade. Within the year, the business use cases for AI, machine learning, and deep learning are will be fully embedded. So what I mean by that is, is enterprise adoption of AI and machine learning will be providing valuable insights to business within the business by the end of this year. If your business is not looking at AI and what it can do and machine learning and what it can tell you about the data that you already have, then let me assure you, your competitors are looking at it and you are ripe for disruption. I want to talk a little bit about process automation within the AI ML only because the holy grail of process automation is AI driven process automation. Don Shurman, the CTO of Pegasystems, has had some excellent posts on this, and uh, I would listen to him any day of the week talk about this, about RPA and where it's going. AI and process automation, I don't believe is there, but I believe by the end of this year, we will see it in enterprises in production. So 
Process automation is there today. It's been there for the last two or three years. Full process automation with smarts on it is there today in production. So we can do smart things with process automation today. By the end of this year, we will see machine learning based process automation where the systems can learn based on the interactions, the processes that they have gone through before and write their own process automation for additional processes. By the end of this decade, I believe that most business processes will be either fully automated where possible or within an AI learning algorithm where they fall outside of the realm of ordinary processes. So when we start talking about robotics, robotic automation, and AI, I want to talk a little bit about deep fakes and bad actors. This year is a presidential election in the United States. We will have deep fakes in the wild of the presidential candidates before the end of the year. That's a prediction. I expect to see deep fakes, both debunked and possible deep fakes in the wild by the end of 2020, before the election is over. Now, whether or not we'll be able to track those back to one of the presidential candidates or not, I don't know. But we are there now. Some of the deep fakes that have been demonstrated to be able to be made are good enough that you won't be able to tell. At the same time, we're going to be chasing those with AIs that identify deepfakes. But like other security, we are always going to be a day behind. So day zero viruses, unless you're looking at heuristics, we don't see day zero viruses until after they've happened. Day zero fake, deepfakes, we're not going to see them until somebody debunks them. And that's that's a pretty scary place for us for content, especially news content. So information content that we expect to be able to help us answer questions about where things are going and how they're, they're doing what they're doing. So I, I would go into anything you see online with a, a sense of cautious skepticism. And if it seems out of character, it remember, we're all in echo chambers right now. The, the AI we've been living with for the last few years has placed us in an echo chamber. If what we hear someone say supports the echo chamber we're in, but seems to be slightly off of the messaging that they have said in other times, and if you're not aware of their messaging, then be skeptical of it and go and, and search out the information that they believe so that you can make an honest call about whether or not it's fake or not. So... I said I was going to, I'm not going to mention autonomous electric cars. I, I'm going to talk about autonomous vehicles and electric cars later in the year in another podcast. Um, and I'm going to talk about theory, hype, and reality around them, but I'm not going to cover them here. What I am going to cover is innovation. Now, innovation for this year, I'm not going to make any predictions. To be honest with you, we're, we're too close to it. And any prediction I would make would seem like a rehashing of innovation from this previous year. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out towards the end of the decade. Innovation by the end of 2020 will be a team effort between AI and people. 
and they will be people from different backgrounds. We know that innovation within teams of people with different backgrounds generates better innovation than homogenous people, the same team within the same area. AI is going to be able to provide views and visions and perspectives that even a team of diverse people is not going to be able to see. You, the, the problem is, is if you make the team diverse enough with enough people in it to truly bring in all innovations, then you can't make any decisions because you can't get the whole team to agree. AI is going to be able to provide that diversity into those innovations. In addition, AI and ML are going to be able to test 10,000 innovations within a few seconds. So your innovation loops are going to be able to be faster. What we need to be doing in businesses and organizations is building those innovation teams now. If we want those outcomes, those innovative outcomes, we need to be building the environment and the ecosystem of those innovation people now to prepare them for this decade. Because let me assure you, by the end of this decade, if we look at the cycle for new products and technologies in business, you can't wait 10 years. You, you can't live on an existing technology and an existing products that you had for 10 years. There isn't anybody that's doing it anymore. That time frame is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter. And the, if you don't have an innovation team that is looking at pie-in-the-sky, moonshot, out-of-left-field innovations for your organization, business process change innovation, product innovations, customer engagement innovations, financing and accounting innovations. If you're not looking at innovations, if you're not building the environment and bringing the people in and resourcing them to be able to do that, your organization is going to go away. It's not, it's not going to be a go out of business. It's going to be you're not going to have a business to be in. You're going to be selling whale oil when everybody's putting electric lights in their houses. So that's my predictions for 2020 and the 2020s. I appreciate you listening to my podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. Any feedback is welcome. Hey, just reach out to me for anything. It doesn't have to be able to provide feedback. I, I like hearing from everybody. That makes me, reminds me the, of the, the people that are actually listening out there. I look forward to the next podcast with you guys. And thank you very much.